This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 23, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The debate last night was long on bravado, but short on ideas on how to rationally deal with a state like Iran. Doug Bandau, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, argues that the aggressive push against Iran runs counter to a more peaceful world. There are a lot of people who argue on behalf of taking additional measures against Iran and leaving no option off the table, which presumably includes bombs. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has has made these very sort of pointed, uh, sort of Rocky and Bullwinkle imagery presenting the bomb and drawing the picture that says, here's where they are and developing some sort of uh, nuclear weapons. First of all, I think it's important to, to make this distinction. What is the difference between what the people think of as the Arab street and the Persian street? Well, Iranians will be very quick to tell you they aren't Arabs. They are Persians. There is a difference there. It's a difference, I think, lost on a lot of Westerners. It matters because within the Gulf, people do line up rather differently. And there's a long kind of history of Persians having a real ambition. This, you know, If there's a nuclear weapon coming out of Iran, it's not an Islamic bomb. It's a Persian bomb. It started under the Shah. And there's a lot of support for it, even among opposition leaders. The people who we were supporting in their race against Ahmadinejad want the bomb. I mean, these are not people who want to disarm. And, you know, the question of where they are on it, what people think, I mean, it's hard for us to know for certain, but this is a very divided country. The urban elites tend to be very pro-American. Those are the people we listen to. They were protesting. There are a lot of rural people. A fair number of them probably voted for Ahmadinejad. So we have to be careful here trying to discern exactly what they want. And it's not at all clear that any of them would welcome bombs falling on their country. If we want to destroy the democracy movement there, probably the quickest way to do so would be to launch military strikes. With respect to the sanctions that the United States has already imposed on Iran and other countries have imposed on Iran, who pays the price for that? Well, as in most places, the sanctions most hurt average people. We, we certainly found this in sanctions against Yugoslavia, sanctions against other countries. You know, people who are in the elite, people who are in government, people who have access to special privileges and friends in power tend to do pretty well. They manipulate the system. You know, the people who suffer now, they have currency that's collapsing. They have, you know, energy shortages. They have, you know, problems finding goods and services. Well, that's all hurting average people. So here, the tragedy of sanctions sanctions is that typically they don't hurt the decision makers nearly as much as the average folks who, in a case like this, aren't making the decisions. But it seems that if we were wanted to uh, foment some sort of anti-leadership sentiment among Iranians, that this doesn't seem the best way to go about it. Probably not. I mean, the, the difficulty here is it's very hard to reach into other societies and transform them politically. It makes sense, I think, to want to make sure the leadership pays a price. We don't want them to have nuclear weapons. That's a very sensible goal. I don't know anybody who really wants them to have nuclear weapons. But it's not clear that sanctions are going to achieve that. Now, they do impose some price to the extent the leadership wants to have a powerful country that's prosperous, to the extent the leadership perceives politically they are better off if they have a prosperous Iran than having to try to explain why the the system is collapsing. Maybe sanctions can help. On the other hand, sanctions may cause people to rally around the regime, and it helps strengthen elites because they can manipulate the system. Hard to know how that all washes out. Rand Paul has probably done more than any other member of Congress to draw an explicit line between these sanctions, which, of course, he did not support, uh, and going to war with Iran. And he 
got an amendment included in sanctions saying none of this should be construed as an act of war against uh, Iran. Can you unpack that a little bit in terms of what some people believe sanctions are meant to achieve versus uh, what they actually do achieve? Well, I think there are two things going on with sanctions. You know, they are being proposed and supported as a mechanism to try to deter Iran from developing nuclear weapons. Of course, the irony here is that U.S. intelligence agencies have concluded that there is no active nuclear weapons program in Iran. So it becomes much more a question of things of enrichment and other things. You know, it's kind of hard to see exactly where they're going on that. I think that what a lot of people really want with sanctions is regime change. They want to overthrow the regime. Now, that would be a perfectly good thing. The problem is to the extent you try to put pressure on the regime, you give them a greater incentive to develop nuclear weapons. To the extent they feel under siege, how do they defend themselves? The best way to defend themselves is to have nuclear weapons. So there's a lot of areas here where it may very well be counterproductive. To witness the U.S. relationship with other countries that have gone from not having nuclear weapons to having nuclear weapons, it seems to provide a pretty clear set of examples for Iran on how they might want to behave. Well, I've long told people the U.S. has conveniently divided the world into two sets of countries. One set of countries are the countries that do the bombing. The other set of countries are those that get bombed. Well, which set of countries do you want to be in? You probably want to be one of the countries that does the bombing and doesn't get bombed. Having nuclear weapons is the best way to move into that category. I think that's what we see with uh, North Korea. And unfortunately, I think that American and European intervention in Libya has reinforced this lesson. You know, the U.S. and the Europeans made a deal with Gaddafi. He gave up his nuclear weapons and long-range missiles. We said, great, you're gonna, we're going to work with you. I mean, he's a nasty guy, but you understand the deal, why it was made. And what the, the, suddenly, at, you know, the moment the West had an opportunity to throw him overboard, they did so. Well, the lesson that sends to Iranians and to North Koreans, who've in fact commented on it in their own media, is what a fool. He gave up the only weapons that would give his regime security, and lo and behold, he got tossed out. So I'm worried about what the messages we've sent here. All the pressure on the regime does make it more likely, I think, that they will want to move forward with nuclear weapons. And quite honestly, military strikes would do the same. Most people believe military strikes would only slow down the program. There's an argument about whether it's months or years, how many. But it would, again, tell the regime the only way they can survive, the only certainty of survival in the future would be to have nuclear weapons. So it's very problematic. But as you stated earlier, our intelligence agencies have concluded that Iran is not, in fact, pursuing that uh, avenue. I think what most people believe and what our intelligence officials suggest and what a lot of military sorts suggest, including intelligence officers, military people in Israel and elsewhere, is that what Iran wants is the capability. They'd like to be in a position where they could move ahead if they wanted to, but they have not made that decision. It's a decision they don't have to make at this stage. They're not, they're not terribly close as far as we can tell. I found statements going back to 1984 predicting imminent nuclear weapons in Iran. That's almost 30 years ago. Now, at some point, those statements may be correct, but we shouldn't be stampeded into a military option from people saying, oh, my goodness, next year, the year after. You know, we look at the past. Doug Bandau is a senior fellow with the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.